From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. University students don't read detailed feedback, so what's the point in paying academics to give it? That's the position of some in the management of one of Australia's most prestigious universities. Now, staff are striking and battle lines are being drawn in one of the biggest industrial disputes in the history of the university sector. So, is there an end in sight to the crisis in universities? What does it mean for students? And can universities reconcile the tension between pursuing cuts and pursuing excellence? Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the battle for the soul of a university. It's Wednesday, June 8th. Rick, you've recently been talking to people, to to staff from Sydney University. Could you maybe start by telling me why that is, what is happening at the university that's interested you? So right now, as we speak, there's actually an enormous industrial dispute happening at the University of Sydney. And I'm, I'm told by people involved in the negotiations that it's, you know, in terms of its size and its scope, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest industrial action in the higher education sector, full stop, in Australia. But comrades, I'm here to say today, and I echo Danny's word, this is really just the beginning of a much larger campaign. We have a massive opportunity in this round of enterprise bargaining to start to turn the tide on insecure work. No one's seen anything like this, particularly with the strike action. Why won't they do it? Well, as we know, they won't do it because they're addicted to insecure work. As I said, it's central to their business model, it's central to their cost minimisation strategies, and it's central to their risk mitigation strategies. The National Tertiary Education Union, the University of Sydney branch, they've already held three strikes just in the last month and a bit. Marking pages, give us back our stolen wages. Emails, lectures, marking pages, give us back our stolen wages. And it's all about enterprise negotiations, which, you know, set pay and conditions for the staff and academics between the unions and the university. The old enterprise agreement at University of Sydney expired last year and negotiations have been kind of happening in the background for at least about nine months. There's been a few blips along the way because they changed a vice-chancellor halfway through. So it's still happening. And, you know, this negotiation is is getting people in the sector really angry and it's shaping up to be a really big battle. What the university is pushing for has been described to me as disturbing and by another academic as illogical, reckless and callous in its planning in a way that would inflict significant damage on the university. Right. Okay. Those are pretty strong words, Rick. Illogical, reckless, callous, disturbing. So tell me about what the plan actually is. What are the the details of what the university is trying to put into place? So there's a few elements to this and there's a couple of things that I find most interesting as a journalist, particularly around research. So there's two researchy type changes being mooted by the university. One, they want to gut technical support positions you know, these are professional staff members who run labs, run computers, calibrate highly sensitive and really expensive equipment so that researchers and students can actually do the work of being scholars in the labs and elsewhere around the university. And also, University of Sydney wants to force academics to fight for their own research allocations each and every year. Now, the changes are making people very angry, but this has also become a a sort of a pitch battle because staff at universities are 
already at breaking point after the last few years of the pandemic, but also the brutal treatment they've received at the hands of the coalition government, which effectively pretended that universities didn't exist at the biggest crisis in Australia since World War II. Mm. Yeah, you get the sense that this has been a long time coming for Australia's university sector because for decades now there's been changes in the funding model, in the way that universities are run, and all of that meant, I think, that when the pandemic hit, things really went into freefall. It did, it did. It was bad, and we know that now. But really, for the last 30 years, universities have been forced to earn more and more of their income from non-government sources. They've essentially gone from being funded up to 90% by the Commonwealth to being funded by students and outside private companies and bequests and where else they can get their hands on money, basically. And particularly, the lucrative market for universities at the moment is international students. And that was kind of working uh, until the pandemic. Then those students left. They couldn't come here for the new enrolments. And the coalition also excluded universities from JobKeeper. Deliberately, it wasn't an oversight. There were calls for them to include them, and they just didn't. We're talking tens of thousands of staff across Australia. It was a perfect storm. And it turns out, and I feel like we know this in Australia, at least some people know this, when conditions bite, external factors like that, it's staff that bear the brunt of the response. And that's exactly what happened at the University of Sydney. Just to give you a very small insight, since 2017, for example, the number of continuing and fixed term academic and professional staff positions at the university, they were steadily increasing until 2020. And between 2020 and 2021, last year, things have now deteriorated. Academic staff to student ratios have blown out from one to about every 15 students to what it is now, last year, one staff member for about 20 students. That's a massive increase in just one year. Right. Okay. And so, Rick, the people who work at these universities, the people who you've been speaking to, what did they say about their working conditions? How bad did they say that things have become for them as a result of the changes in the way that the sector functions? Yeah, it's it's bad. So we've seen this big shift over years now in the workforce, particularly the number of those casuals. You know, there were almost 10,000 casual staff at the University of Sydney in the year 2020. 10,000 casual staff equivalent to just 500 full-time positions. Even so, the budget for those casuals was slashed in that year by 15%. So there's fewer academic full-time staff. Even the casuals budget was getting slashed in 2020. Now, at the time these figures were released, the then Vice-Chancellor, Michael Spence, he's no longer the VC, he just described casuals as warm bodies which confirmed in the, in the minds of so many staff that I spoke to, the overworked staff particularly, that they were thought of by the university leadership as almost dispensable. They're just there to fill a spot. And it was a dismissive view that was borne out, I think, by the actual conditions that are foisted on those workers. So in May last year, there was a report on stolen wages from the University Casuals Network and the NTEU, and they found that on average for every hour that a casual was paid for, they did another 28 minutes or 0.46 hours of unpaid work. That is the equivalent to being paid from 9 to 5 but staying back until 9pm in the office each day doing work for which you are not paid. Now, as you can imagine, the kind of workplace that does things like that isn't exactly going to lead to, you know, happy staff or staff who are even well for that matter. Now, there was a staff survey conducted by an independent firm across all higher education institutions, 
and it showed that only 52% of staff at the University of Sydney said that their well-being at work was okay. One professor said to me, that is a pretty serious sign of institutional rot. And I happen to agree. In fact, I think that if that happened anywhere at any employee organisation, at any workplace, that would be considered a crisis. Now, a spokesperson for the university said, well, actually, it's, it's more of a moderate problem and not a crisis. And they said that that survey came during one of the COVID-19 lockdowns. So really, it was a result of people being unable to manage stress during lockdown while working from home. I think that is part of it, but I think it's pretty facetious to try to pretend that that is the entire explanation, given what we know about the higher education sector at the moment. Right. So it sounds like staff, or at least half of the staff at Sydney University, are not happy at the moment. And the industrial action that's underway, these negotiations are really only making that worse, exacerbating the concerns of the people who work at the university. But when you take a a step back, Rick, what do you think that all of this is telling us about the state of higher education in Australia? Like the way it's been put to me by some academic staff at the University of Sydney, and I certainly believe this, it's a battle for the very soul of what universities are meant to do. It's a battle for the whole concept of a public good institution that is meant to teach and foster the next generation of talent. What's happening to universities is that they're being turned into essentially neoliberal for-profit machines at the expense of the staff, at the expense of research, at the expense of students, and ultimately at the expense of society more broadly because it's universities and higher education that in many ways saved us during the pandemic because of the work they did in the 40 years before we ever got COVID-19. And that's the worry here, is about will these institutions exist for anyone but the rich and the well-heeled in the future, and will people want to work for them? We'll be back after this. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro therapy. Yeah, yeah, if, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rick, we've been talking about what's going on in Australia's higher education sector, specifically about what's been happening at Sydney University and what staff there are saying about the impact of all of this. But what we haven't really spoken about is the students, because they're kind of stuck in the middle of all of this. So what does it mean for them? What do these issues actually look like in practice for someone who is studying, say, at the University of Sydney at the moment? Yeah, I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road, really. So if you're a student, it's becoming harder and harder. I don't care what university you're at. It's becoming harder and harder to actually get access to the people who are teaching you. Obviously, there are some universities now trying to move away from face-to-face learning 
because they got a taste of that during the pandemic, but also the staff are just so overworked that if you want good, fair, well-considered feedback on the stuff that you're actually trying to learn, good luck. So, you know, there's one casual academic, Ricky Scanlon, for example, they were talking about this last week on social media where they were saying that they're allocated just 23 minutes to mark a 2,000-word paper from their students. That's according to the marking guide put out by University of Sydney. That's what they're paid for. Actually doing the job properly takes so much longer than 23 minutes for 2,000 words. Now, Scanlon has continued to provide the detailed feedback that they otherwise would to their students, but they started adding a note on each paper when the paid allotment finishes and they begin doing the job for free. And Scanlon said on, on Twitter last week, to be clear, I'm continuing to give the feedback, sometimes quite extensive feedback, but my students should know where my marking is no longer paid and where I am self-exploiting in order to give them the quality education that they're paying for. So this is really perverse, right? The students are paying for this education more so than ever before in the history of Australian higher education, and the university is taking that money and underpaying particularly casuals who make up more than half of the teaching workforce at the University of Sydney, and they're not paying them for the time it takes to do the job. Now, I've put that claim to the University of Sydney management in, in some kind of background conversations I've had with them, and they put another view forward, and this, is, this blew my mind that they would even say this. They said that maybe it's just a waste of time to give students that much detailed feedback. Right, so the university's position is that, that giving students a detailed feedback isn't worth it. That was certainly what was put to me. And it's an extraordinary claim for a teaching institution to declare that staff should not spend too much time on students. Like, it's wild. They essentially said, literally, to me, students don't read the feedback. Now, assuming you buy that, I don't think that's true, by the way, assuming you buy that, it doesn't mean that students are getting the education elsewhere. It's not like they can, you know, just rock up to an office and be like, hey, I want to meet to discuss what I'm learning because there's just no time. This is the bare minimum and the staff aren't even getting to do that properly and the university doesn't think it's worthwhile. Now, of course, universities still want to send a message that they're excellent, that they're the best in the field and everyone should come and study there because they're amazing. So there's a bit of a core friction here between what's happening on the ground during this EBA negotiation and the image that they present to the world and which one is true because they can't both be true at once. Right, okay, so it sounds like on one hand Australian universities obviously want to be seen as these world-leading institutions but when you talk to the people who are working there, the staff, they say that that, I suppose, core goal is being undermined by the the day-to-day operations. So is there tension then around what the very purpose of a university is and and is the sector in trouble if it can't reconcile those two things? Yeah. I, I mean, for, for reasons partly beyond their control and also because of their response to those conditions which have not helped themselves, I think that we have a kind of identity crisis in universities in Australia. They're meant to be this kind of bastion of critical thought, of debate, of, you know, leading the world on ideas and philosophy and, and, and knowledge. And really, they're kind of, they force themselves into a corner where they have to make money. But in order to make the most money, 
And we just saw the University of Sydney post a $1.04 billion operating surplus. They also have to save costs. And where they typically save costs comes at the expense of all of those things that they claim they represent. Now, one of the biggest things that they care about, not just at the University of Sydney but in the sector, is the status and ranking of the institution when it comes to research, when it comes to student satisfaction and quality, you know, whether it's domestic students or that, that lucrative international student market. But they put all of those things at extreme risk when they, they try to run these institutions like a business, like a corporation. And this friction between that corporate approach and their public brand is the core issue. Now, as Nick Reamer, who's the University of Sydney National Tertiary Education Union president, told me, these places that posture as being beacons of critical thought are actually massively authoritarian bureaucracies because they're trying to force this way of life onto staff who have been told that academic freedom is the most important thing ever. And while this wrestle for the kind of the soul of the universities plays out, it's important to remember that this is about real people. These stories always are. The sector continues to bleed staff. A highly credentialed academic at Sydney Uni told me just last week that he's decided to call time his teaching career at the organisation simply because the pay is no longer there and particularly the support is being eroded. So he said, there is now zero administrative support for unit coordinators. He said, no shortage of pain there. The sector is in deep, deep trouble. Mm. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. I appreciate it. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the Reserve Bank has increased the cash rate target by 50 basis points to 0.85%, marking the largest increase in 22 years. Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe said the board is committed to doing what's necessary to ensure that inflation in Australia returns to target over time. And the Australian Federal Police have announced they're investigating 51 groups associated with the Italian Mafia, including at least 14 groups connected to the Indragata, the gang which allegedly controls 70% of the world's cocaine trade. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.